Amen. What a great time of worship this morning. So what a blessing to be able to be up in front, to be able to share with you this morning. And uh, last week I ended a short series that was entitled The Myths of the Church. And today I want to start a new series and it's entitled The Signs of Life. I'll tell you that part of the idea behind this series is found in the fact that most people tend to be visual in their nature. Uh, We see things and it causes us to remember other things. It's one thing to hear something said, but when you can actually see it, often it will help us to replay that message over and over and over again. Uh, We're far more likely to remember it that way. Well, my hope is that as we work through this series, uh, my hope is to give you an image that will constantly serve as a reminder to you of what we're learning. And what better way to do this than to use images that you're likely to see on a daily basis, if not every day, seemingly every day. Every time you see the yield sign next to the highway, I want you to be reminded of the fact that God has called us to be yielded to him. We're going to use Abraham as the central focus of this message Uh, or of this series, but I want you to understand that even as we look at the story of Abraham, the story of Christ is weaved all throughout the story of Abraham. There is a message of hope. There is a message of faith and trust and sacrifice. It is a story of grace and provision, and in many ways, it is a story of redemption. When you consider the fact that Abraham was a very imperfect individual who made some very poor choices along the way, Abraham was a man who desperately needed the redemption of a loving God. And Jesus Christ is our Redeemer this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 12. While you're turning, let me lay a little bit of the foundation, the things that are happening prior to chapter 12. In chapter 11, we're introduced to this man whose name is Abraham. We're told that his father's name is Terah, and they live in a place called Ur. But as they live in this place called Ur, Terah feels led to take his family and move. In Genesis chapter 11, it tells us the place where they are intending to go. And it was a land called Canaan. Now, that being said, they never make it to Canaan. Somewhere along the way, they get distracted. They settle down in a place called Haran. And in Haran, they find great success and prosperity, and we find that Abraham's family became very wealthy while they were in this place. Now, eventually, Abraham's father would die, but by then they have spread out and they have truly taken possession of the land. And then in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, we read this. The Lord had said to Abram, by the way, it's Abram at this point. He changes his name later in life, but it's Abram here. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you. I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, later to be called Sarah, his nephew Lot, 
all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. This is perhaps the least descriptive calling God gives in all of Scripture. God gives Abram instructions to leave this place, your country, your family, and simply go to the place where I will show you. He doesn't yet tell Abram that it's going to be a place that's flowing with milk and honey. He doesn't even mention whether he's to go north or south or east or west. He simply says to go. I don't know, perhaps God told him more than what's recorded here. Maybe he gave him a roadmap. Maybe he gave him the specific name of the land which he would settle, the land of Canaan. Or maybe he simply assumed that God wanted him to continue the journey that his father had started out on so many years earlier when they set out for Canaan. For whatever reason, that's the direction that Abraham goes. I'm not sure any of that matters so much as it matters that God sent Abraham and he was willing to go. That's what you call a yielded life. This isn't about the vagueness of God's calling. This is about a man being willing to leave the comforts of home and family for the sake of obedience to God. Abraham was yielded to God and a yielded life always leads to obedience. I can remember many years ago, I had been pastoring in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It was a successful ministry that was doing great things. The church had doubled in the two and a half years that I had been there as the youth pastor. I had a great relationship with the senior pastor. I had bought my first home, and we were in love with the people in that church. But while at a pastor's conference, I felt so heavily the voice of God telling me, that it was time to move on from that place. I felt that God was calling me to be a senior pastor somewhere. Of course, I went home and I talked to Linda, and I'm sure she was really excited about it. Actually, that's not the kind of exciting conversation that you have. However, if God is leading, you must be willing to follow. We talked about it, and together we began making plans to leave. I went to the senior pastor, and I resigned. It was early October, which is an unusual time for a pastoral transition in the Wesleyan Church. But I gave a tentative date as to when I would resign as being the last week of January. Remember, this was in October. Certainly, this was perhaps one of the most exciting, yet also scary times of my life. I had people from the church who would ask, well, where are you going? Or why are you leaving? And the only answer that I could give was, I don't know. God's the one who's calling, and I just know he's going to show us where. The last Sunday in January, I was invited to a church just outside of Philadelphia, where I would then serve for the next 10 plus years and experience great things. Notice what happened there. In October, I resigned. Gave the date last week of January. No idea where we're going. And what week did God decide to send me to Philadelphia? The last week of January. God had it all worked out ahead of time. He knew where I would go. He knew when I would go. He knew all the details long before I did. And the only thing he asked for me to do was to be obedient, to trust, to yield my life to him. I will tell you, it's scary when God calls you to do something that is uncertain. 
Yet I want you to understand today that a life that is yielded to God is always an obedient life. If God calls you to do it, we have the responsibility to go. At times, I would confess to wonder if the church today still knows what it means to be yielded to Christ. I gave you an example there of what it means to be yielded in a moment of crisis, a moment of transition, but I challenge the fact that I'm not sure that the church knows what it means to be yielded to Christ on a daily basis, what it means to live for Christ in a way that honors him all the time, living obedient. Let me share some examples. Alcoholism is almost as present in the Protestant church as it is outside of the Protestant church. Over 60% of those who are part of the Protestant church admit to drinking on a somewhat regular basis, according to a Gallup poll in 2010. The percentage is 80% outside the church. Less than 20% difference between the church and the world. In regard to internet pornography, according to Covenant Eyes, which is an organization that monitors uh, pornography on the internet and the use of, uh, of pornography, and actually they create filtering options for families and individuals, they provide this statistic. 50% of all Christian men admit to being addicted to internet pornography today. By the way, the statistics are almost identical with the world outside of the church. In regard to divorce, this is nothing new to you, but among those who call themselves Christian, the rates are virtually identical in the secular world as opposed to inside the church. In fact, I did read one statistic this week that said that the statistic of those getting divorced inside the church is slightly higher than those outside the church. Something is wrong within the church when we no longer know what it is that makes us different. We no longer live as those who are obedient to God and are yielded to him. Something has gone wrong somewhere along the way. In dealing with political issues of the day, the church is no longer a unified voice identifying things as sin that scripture identifies as sin. There is division on issues like homosexuality, abortion, caring for the poor, and even on the question of whether Jesus is the only true way to salvation. The time has come that we must choose once again to yield ourselves to God. We can't be like the rest of the world. We must become obedient to Christ in his call to holy living. You know, Abraham is not the only person in Scripture to demonstrate a yielded life by blindly following God's call. Consider Matthew. He was the tax collector. Jesus called him to leave his table where he was working, where he was actually representing the Roman government, to leave his table and to come and to follow Christ. And he did. In fact, he celebrated by having a big dinner, inviting all of his fellow tax collectors over too. Not only did he willingly leave his position, his prosperity, his comfort, but he invited others to join him on the way. Consider Peter. We talked about him a few weeks ago. As he was called to Cornelius' house, and he went, even though he knew Cornelius was a Gentile. Consider Ananias who was called to go heal a blind man named Saul, who had been breathing out murderous threats against Christians, having them arrested even 
making sure that they were punished after being arrested. He went and he healed him. And Saul would become a new man named Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit and perhaps the greatest missionary of all time. But understand, there was someone else who was yielded to God first. Someone else who was obedient. There are countless examples of people whom God would call and they demonstrated a yielded life through their obedience. Let me tell you that if you are truly yielded to God, the only option for you is obedience. When God calls, you go. You act. You speak. You do whatever he desires. And it can be scary at times, but it can also be incredibly rewarding. Which leads to my next point. A yielded life leads to blessing. In our passage, God says to Abram, let me read it again. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. In other words, you may not have all the details, Abram. You may not know exactly what tomorrow looks like. But you, can't, you can count on the fact that the one who called you will provide for you. He will meet all of your needs and you'll be better off because of your obedience. Now there are so many pieces to God's promise to Abram that we could look at. But first, there's the promise of making him into a great nation. One that is blessed by God. This would be the first reference that Abraham would receive regarding him having many descendants. You can't be a great nation if you don't have descendants. If you don't have other family members, a line of a lineage that would follow. Later, God would tell him that his descendants would be like the stars of the sky, impossible to count. There would be so many of them. You look out, you see all the stars, that's nothing compared to your family. Consider the improbability of God's promised blessing upon Abram. Abram, according to this passage, is 75 years old. Even at a time when people lived more than 100 years of age, he is already considered an old man. How is this even possible? 25 years would pass before his son Isaac would be born to Sarah. Yet God would keep his promise to Abram. Not only would the Israelite nation come from the line of Abraham and Isaac, but Abraham in his old age would become the father also of Ishmael to a servant girl. And then following Sarah's death, he would remarry and he would have six other male sons. And consider God's promise of fame that's offered to Abraham. He said, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Look around the world today. Notice that three of the world's most significant religious groups consider Abraham their forefather. The Muslim faith, the Jewish faith, and the Christian faith. And I love the last part of the promise. All the peoples on earth will be blessed because of you. Some would suggest that this is merely a reference to the Christ coming from the line of Isaac, actually going through the Jewish family. Christ coming and becoming the redeemer for all of the world. And certainly there is an element of that. It makes good sense. Yet I would suggest that there's far more to it than this. Consider the story of Joseph. 
who would be used to deliver not only the Israelites from a drought, a famine, but also the Egyptians. Or consider Daniel, who would serve in an ungodly Babylonian government. And the blessing of God upon Daniel would splash out even on the Babylonians, even though often they are viewed as the enemy of God. What we see is repeatedly throughout the word of God, God blesses humanity through Abraham's descendants. You never know how far God's blessing will go or even how it may eventually come back to you. Let me give you an example of this in something that maybe you can sort of grab hold of. I'm going to ask two people if they would just stand for a moment. I won't make you do it for long. Liz and Wallace Moon, would you stand up for just a moment? Liz and Wallace are seated right back here and, well, sorry Liz, I should have warned you. They've been a part of this church for a very long time. You can, everybody see them? Everybody knows who I'm talking about. You guys can go ahead and be seated for a moment. Liz and Wallace have been a part of this church for uh, a, a relatively long time. 35 plus years ago, they were serving in ministry at a church in Greenville. And as they served in ministry, they were the youth directors and they poured themselves into numerous kids and they, they made an incredible difference in the lives of those young people. There was one individual in particular that they poured themselves into and they loved him and they cared for him, but it was more than just showing up to church on Sunday morning and teaching a Sunday school class. They invested their time and their effort into these kids and, and particularly this one individual considers Liz and Wallace Moon to be one of the most significant influences in who he became. He accepted Christ, and as he accepted Christ, he found himself at a Christian college, met a girl there, and ended up getting married, going off to Northern Virginia area where they would settle down, and he would walk in the footsteps of Liz and Wallace Moon. He began to invest in the children and the youth that were involved in that church, and as he would invest in them, he was faithful to be a part. Again, it was more than just being there with them on Sunday morning. He would invest. He would go to their, their sporting events. He would participate in their lives. He would go out to eat. Particularly, there was one family that they didn't have a father figure in their lives. And this young man became that father figure simply by loving on those kids. One of those kids decided to go to the same school where that young man had gone previously. And while he was there, he would receive God's call into full-time Christian ministry. I'm going to fill in some of the blanks for you. Liz and Wallace Moon ministered to a, a young man named Eric Smith. Eric would go to Central Wesleyan College, later to be known as Southern Wesleyan University. After settling down in the Northern Virginia area, nine hours away from here, he would come in contact with me. My family was that family that did not have a father figure, and Eric would become probably the most significant influence on who I would become. Now, what I want you to understand is this. Liz and Wallace Moon didn't invest in Eric because they thought they were going to get something back. Their purpose was not to, to develop the person who's then going to help develop their next pastor years down the road. 35 years later, there is no way that they're, you guys are smart, but you guys aren't that smart. There is no way they could have seen all that would take place for everything to come full circle so that now they find themselves under the ministry 
of someone who has been touched by someone that they touched, it's an incredible story. Do you, do you realize that when we choose to live the yielded, obedient life to God, his blessings go far beyond what we could comprehend? So often we do the things that we're supposed to do. Sometimes it's because of the fact that we're expecting to get something back. I'll guarantee you they had no idea how God would use their obedience. They simply chose to be obedient. We as the body of Christ must be a yielded church and we must be willing to do whatever it is that God would call us to do. I assure you that Abraham didn't have all the answers. He, he, he was willing to obey, but he didn't know what all it would look like. Later in this passage, upon reaching Canaan, God clarifies the vision a little bit. He says in verse 7 that Abraham's offspring will inherit this land, Canaan, but notice that Abraham had already left his home before God gives him that promise. He simply knew that God would take him to a place that he would be shown, and that was all. He didn't have all the details. Neither did Liz and Wallace. Understand that obedience is not about you having all the answers. It's about you being willing to follow wherever it is that God would lead you. This is something that I want you to catch today. I was talking with Michael this week. That's my four-year-old son. He was sharing about a rewards program that is used in the 4K program at Central Elementary. If a student makes good choices, if they help with cleaning up, they get five Skittles candies each day. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me want to clean up. This particular day, Michael had only gotten three candies, and he was very upset. Probably because he wasn't doing the things he was supposed to do, but that's a different issue. Well, he shared that there is a way to get six Skittles candies. He said that if he helps somebody else out, he can get a sixth piece of candy. So he added, I think I'll help somebody today. I'm afraid that often we have tied our obedience or our generosity solely to the promise of blessing. We want to live obedient, but only God, if you give me certain things in response. It's a wonderful truth that God will bless those who are yielded to him. But we must not live the yielded life only to get something in return. Instead, we must be yielded solely because of our love for God and our desire to please him. Matthew 6, 19 to 21 talks about this. In fact, let me show you a video that will illustrate this for us. tested by the fire of your own passions. You will be tempted beyond the limits of your own endurance. You will be betrayed by the deception of your own heart. 
your gold and silver will corrode. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But there is another kind of treasure, one not of this earth. And if you wish to find it, you must first journey from the grave to grace. Your old self must die so that you might be raised from the dead. yourself for my sake, and you will have treasures in heaven. I confess that when I saw this video the first time, my first thought was, he's burying a body. But he is. Come. It's his own and follow me. The reality is that all of us must be willing to lay down our lives so that we can truly experience true life. We must be willing to yield ourselves so that truly God would have control over everything as opposed to us being in control of everything. See, we've lived for ourselves for too long, but the time has come to yield ourselves to him. What if God calls us to go someplace where we would never want to go? Praise the Lord. What if God calls us to do something we never could have done on our own? Praise the Lord. What if God calls us to do something that we would never want to do? Praise the Lord. The yielded life is not one that picks and chooses which things we're going to do. We simply obey when God calls us to go to do, to speak. I wonder today, two things. First of all, I want to challenge you today to examine your life. Are you truly yielded to him? If you are not, 
There is no better time to yield yourself to him and give him control than now. There's no better time to surrender your life and say, God, I'm yours and whatever it is you want to do, I'm willing to do it. I will obey. Second, I invite you to examine your motives. It's not just about living in obedience, but why are you living in obedience? Is this just so you get something in return because you've got a plan, you know what your blessings are going to be? Or is it because of the fact that you truly love God more than anything? There was a time in church history where preachers would stand up and they would preach what was known as a hellfire and brimstone message, almost scaring people to the point of repentance. If you do not repent, you will go to hell. And by the way, what the preacher was saying was absolutely true. Somewhere along the way, that shifted and it became a message of blessing. If you want the blessing of God, then you need to surrender your life to him. And by the way, that message is true as well. But let me suggest to you that leaving out one or the other is a problem. Know this, as much as God will one day hold us accountable, as much as he desires to be able to bless his people, more than anything, he desires a personal relationship with you. God desires not only to know you better than you know yourselves, but he desires that you know him better than you know yourself. It's what God desires for us today. So again, are you yielded to him? And if you are, are you doing it for the right reason? Is your heart right with him? Are you in a right relationship with him today? I'm going to ask the praise and worship team to come back and we're going to Actually, Margie's going to play first, and she's going to play one verse of, it, of all is well. I surrender all. As she plays today, if there is one who needs to surrender their life, to yield their life to him in this room, I want to encourage you to come forward. After we pray, then we're going to sing together. I surrender all as the body of Christ. I'm going to ask if everyone would stand as she plays. If you would, bow your heads. I'm going to pray first, and then I'm going to invite you to come. Father, we come before you, and we're so grateful to be in your house. So grateful for the grace that you've extended to us. Lord, we recognize there have been times we have not lived the surrendered life as we need to. Lord, I pray today that if there be one here today, that they would... Let go of the reins right now and allow themselves to experience death for the sake of life. Move upon us, Lord. The altar is open this morning. Is there anyone who would like to come forward this morning as we close our service out? Father, today we are reminded of your grace. We are unworthy to come into your presence, to worship you. We're unworthy to be able to come before your throne, partially because far too often we have surrendered our everything to you and somewhere along the way we picked it back up. Lord, I pray today that you would truly take all of us, everything, as you do so, Lord, I pray that you would 
change everything about us. Allow the old self to die, not to continually be resurrected over and over again. Let it die and let the new self thrive. Lord, I pray today that you would anoint your people. Fill us with your spirit. And I pray that you would make us obedient to do whatever it is you would call us to do. May you be honored as we live for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Join us as we sing together, I Surrender All. Constantly. By the way, it's a daily choice. It's not just what you do today. 
It's every day we must choose to be yielded to him. So remind yourself as you see that sign when you're riding down the road next week. Thank you for being with us. Go in peace this morning.